0: Hey, y'all, how we doing? Shout out to Bear Nation for tuning in for another episode of the Bear Necessities of Entrepreneurship, a podcast for the entrepreneur-minded, created by entrepreneurs, discussing the real stories that give you the tools to overcome challenges and stay true to your real self. As always, I want to give a shout out to our partners over at Finn. Finn is a social good platform that creates employee engagement and builds culture. We've teamed up with Finn to give back to the communities that we serve. For every episode, we will be donating $10 to the cause of choosing by our guest in the Finn platform. Enjoy today's episode. Bear Nation, how are we doing? We are back for another episode of the Bear Necessities of Entrepreneurship podcast. And today I'm excited to bring you my guest, Phil Buckley. Phil is an award-winning author and change management strategist. With over 32 large-scale change initiatives under his belt, including co-leading global change management for the $19.6 billion Kraft Foods acquisition of Cadbury. And yes, we love our Cadbury eggs. He is the founder and president of Change with Confidence, a change management consulting firm that helps leaders and their teams work through changes that they need to make to be relevant and successful. Phil is the author of Change on the Run, 44 Ways to Survive Workplace Uncertainty, and Change with Confidence, Answering the 50 Biggest Questions that Keep Change Leaders Up at Night. So Phil, say hi to Bear Nation for me.
1: Hi, Bear Nation. And Rob, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, This is the highlight of my week, and I'm having a great week. It's great to be here.
0: Awesome. Well, I appreciate you for, for joining us. And, you know, there's a lot here um, that we just brought into that intro on, you know, your background in this large global corporate and then just starting your own company, supporting change, and then writing these books. So we're going to kind of dig into all of it. Great. Uh, I think a great place to start, uh, kind of a high level overview of your journey. You talk about leading the craft Foods into the acquisition of Cadbury. Tell me about, did you, I mean, did you know you're going to go into corporate? How did you get into craft Foods? Like, how did you start this journey of your corporate life? And then we'll get into your entrepreneurship life uh, here in a little bit.
1: Sure, certainly. So I kicked off my career. and I always had a passion for for learning and development or teaching or helping people and really clicked in with my, my values to serve. How do you make them their best? So training and development was a great fit. And I started off... a a bank that was affiliated with the Canadian government and it was specifically focused on supporting small and medium-sized entrepreneurs so whether it was funding whether it was the capability development particularly of soft skills or even you know secure how do you actually build a business plan and I jumped into that and really started helping entrepreneurs to be their best and and from there i went into cadbury and it turned into a 16 year journey first of all in canada and then in the us uh, both in you know new jersey and in dallas and then i went to the uk for 4 years to lead change management for the cadbury organization and training development is very similar to change it's you know how do we deal with the unknown and how do we be our best going through it to the best advantage so it had mm-hmm. a lot of similarities and as you said, you know, after years and and having a hostile takeover with with craft at the time. And then what do you do when you have two organizations that are very strong, great cultures, but very, very different? And how do you merge them into one? So it was an adventure of over a year with my partner from craft traveling the world, helping leaders and their teams really to be their best in, in new ways mm-hmm. of working. So that was my my corporate experience. And then I jumped into entrepreneurship.
0: So I mean there's a lot to digest with with that big kind of acquisition and traveling and you know having Canada, US, UK getting to work, you know, in different locations and looking at culture and engagement, learning and development, and really helping with change. You know, what was that moment or what was that transition for you of saying, you know, I've worked in this big corporate, I've gone through a large global, you know, takeover of a brand. And now I want to start my own business and and get back into doing something different. Like, what was that for you? And what was that trigger that said, hey, it's time to step away from, you know, arguably one of the largest brands in the world um, and and, and move on? What was that, I guess, trigger point for you?
1: Certainly. And it was a challenge because, you know, craft my experience with their tremendous. So you have everything going right for you in a corporate career. Everyone's supportive. You're successful with the broader team because it's not just you. It's just so so massive, just Mm -hmm. a a team dynamic that's successful. But what I noticed is through my career in corporate, I kept getting bigger geographies or bigger mandates. And the more you do that, the, the less you get that one on one connection with helping people to transition from how they do things in the past to how they need to. And that fear, that fight flight or freeze of what am I going to do now because I don't know what the next step is to be successful. And for me, that was a challenge because as I was moving on, it was like, okay, you can keep doing this. or And it was becoming something that you know, I knew quite well, so the fear that I had, and I think most entrepreneurs go through sort of fear responses when they try something new or they offer a new product or they get into a new territory or their funding is cut, whatever it is. And I was losing that sense of sort of the immediate moment and being sort of true to myself and and growing in that way. So what I decided to do is I left the organization, which which was great, very supportive of them, wrote a book, which I was Afraid to do, and and one thing in my past, and I think most entrepreneurs find that you're always struggling with your history, whether you've been successful or you've been challenged. And when I was 10 years old, I was pretty well illiterate. I'd kind of gone through you know public school and had kind of missed sort of the ability to write. And when they finally mm-hmm. caught it, it was corrected. But for me to write a book when I had challenges as a kid and and that fear and, and almost that shame that you have when you don't meet the the bar that has been set for you. I have never lost that feeling. So the sense mm-hmm. is, if I'm going to write a book that's going to be real, that's going to be what I believe to be true about change, I'm going to put myself on the line. I'm going to get that, hey, am I good enough feeling again? And then I'm going to leverage that to help businesses as I move forward uh, mm-hmm. to help them with change uh, and, and lead by example.
0: Yeah, so you know, the fear of writing this book was that in conjunction with launching your company change with confidence? And were you like working on the consulting and writing? Or did you say, you know, I'm taking a step away from corporate, I'm writing a book, and then decided to create a business? How is that like process of you made this big decision to leave, you have this fear of writing, you're going to overcome it to write a book, and kind of just sit there and like, I'm sure as you left, and if you wanted to, there are hundreds of jobs opportunities leading, you know, large global companies. So, like, how was that process for you of saying I'm tired of one way of doing things, I want to explore these other? And how did you go about processing that?
1: Certainly. So I left a successful career. So that was the I think that was that entrepreneurial foundation of I want to do something else. So it wasn't going to another company probably wouldn't even replicate how much enjoyment i was getting that it was about me pattern breaking and changing something new and and in my business plan because i you know learned so much from the past that if you don't have a plan you're kind of winging it and you're not going to be your best in entrepreneurship to take one year write the book get it published by a large publisher and then that would kickstart my consulting business and and the plan actually worked i took a whole year and and that you know the The challenge of you know twenty four hour working flying from you know India to geneva and and just that thrill of that big business you know dyno, dynamat, dynamic was mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you're looking at a blank screen saying i 've told everyone in my life i 'm writing a book on on how to lead change and to wrestle the fifty biggest questions that leaders you know have a struggle with. It was a fascinating challenge for me, but it was one that I had to make and really to overcome that sense of, well, you said you're going to do it. What are you going to do it? And then once I'd written the book, that was the fuel to drive it forward.
0: Yeah. I mean, that fear is fucking real, right? And you tell a hey, I'm writing a book. And then you start realizing that you actually have to write the fucking book. And it's, yeah, it's got to be good.
1: It's, it's got to be yeah. good. It can't just be a, a so-so book. It has to be the yeah. best thing you could ever do in your life.
0: And it's not just that
1: you because
0: a lot of people who write a book have like they have enough to say like if they're speakers, they do these things they have but it's when you start sitting down and starting to write and you start realizing that your brain's all over the place and how do you put that into a cohesive flow and pattern and so I mean that, I mean it's a it's a very real thing that I'm going through uh, and and you know finishing up my book, which coming out you know. Will have been out when this episode airs in October. Um, but I'm still wrestling with this process of writing. And where we are today, sitting here recording this, I'm still trying to finish up a few key pieces of that book so I can get it to the editing so that we can then turn it around and have the manuscript out and then still launch on time. You know, I find every fucking reason not to write the book, right? <laughs> and... You know, I like that you said, "Hey, I took a year off to write because I didn't want to do writing and working." I mean, I launched my consulting—I mean, my business, my consulting coaching business. Launched a podcast, started writing a book. Like I'm doing, like I'm a—I am the master of winging it. Like I have (laughs) a loose plan, and this is where my—and I kind of want to get into this with you because you have these books that are very um, detailed and and, process-oriented, and my brain works differently. And the fact that even when I go and speak, like people are like, oh, give me a draft of what you're going to do. like, I can't. I'll give you an outline. I have no fucking idea what's going to come out of my mouth. It's all here. <laughs> and as long as I have process, because I feel off the room. And so when I, when I still do business plans, I'm like, why the hell are we telling people to do, you know, in school, you teach like a 50 page business plan. I'm like, what the fuck are we doing? Like an investor's not want to see 10, 10 slides you know, and I can go and do a 50 page business plan, but I overthink and it comes out terribly. But if you give me 10 slides and I give you an outline and I present it to you that, that fluidity of winging it allows me like, I still structure, still plan, but I can't over plan. so I guess when you talk about, you know, building a plan and coming to your, some of your books, when you work with entrepreneurs, how do you kind of combat that of like, when is planning too much? Right. Cause great gets in the way of good. And, and when do you <laughs> allow them to have that fluidity? And I, would love to hear your thought on 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 you know planning versus winging it, and what do you mean by that, and, and how do you kind of cover some of that with
1: people? Absolutely, and I'm a huge fan of minimum viable product. You know, getting something out and testing it. You know, Seth Godin's sort of banner of just you know ship the product, ship it, and get it out and test it. But before you do that, for me at least, figuring out well, what are you going to do? You know, is there a need in the market? You know, are people willing to pay for it? All those entrepreneurial things. Can you can you offer it better than your competitors can? So that's sort of the planning to get it right. Because I've made enough mistakes in my life of not planning at all, and as you yeah. say, you know, going out to market with the wrong things, and and you know that the market is is not forgiving. But when I work with. With clients now, they've already gone through the planning. Typically, it hasn't worked to what they need to. There's a fire, and and I don't go, hey, let's let's you know spend two weeks and we'll plan. It's really about triaging, getting in, and, and what I help them do is is get to the right answer based on the knowledge that they have and asking the questions, just like your great questions today, that will prompt their thinking, that will fill in their plan. Typically a lot of the times, it's getting them to look at the big picture because they're so myopic on that particular yeah. challenge. But but they betrayed their their brand statement or they 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 actually, you know, Get, get in the way of, of being more successful because they're actually in in the coal phase trying to fix one thing. So that's yeah. what I do. I Over planning, I wouldn't do. But in this one here, if the book wasn't great in my view, and hopefully else, I wouldn't have had the business that I had. So sometimes you just have to go, I'm going for it and I'm going to be the best and I'll put the time in.
0: I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where I think you, when, whenever we're talking, especially with entrepreneurs, you got to kind of feel them out a little bit because a lot of times entrepreneurs, when they're running a company, it's like it's their baby. It's their product they from start to finish. And so it's, it's really hard to see the forest between the trees. And so you have to get them to take that step back by asking great questions. And some are super detailed and plan. You got to be able to keep that pace. Some of them are super laid back and you got to kind of like not overwhelm them. So I love that kind of using questions to come in and, and take that. You know, so you, you have your own consulting agency that, you know, really helps leaders and their teams create a better future, right? And so Absolutely. you knew that you wanted to make an impact. What is that impact? And I guess what is your mission for what you're doing today? And why why do you think that's so important and needed in the current landscape as we look at the future of work 2021 going into 2022 after you know, everything changed and will continue to change with millennials now getting in leadership positions, Gen Z entering the workforce, you know, the truly hyper-connected space. So what what does that look like and and what are you thinking about as you like manage your clientele and, and, and work with them?
1: Yeah, the the mission I have hasn't changed, but how I articulate it and the the services I provide have, have changed dramatically, especially given the pandemic. You know, the, the generational shift. And it was always to help people be their best during uncertainty, and and it was true ten years ago. It, it's true now, but the uncertainty is really different. The pace of change. The amount of change that's happening is exponentially larger than when I started. But if you hold true to your values, if you hold true to your mission, it's it's how how do you activate that with the entrepreneurs now? And there's one organization I'm doing work with and they're a startup and they're going so fast and there's so many projects and there's so many opportunities, which is amazing and a challenge. And what I'm finding is they're not prioritizing. And everything looks like a glittering prize. Everything looks mm-hmm. like it's a great opportunity. And what I would say is everything is a drain or an investment in resources. And you can't have every opportunity doesn't have equal weight. But that entrepreneurial yeah. captain spirit, it's like, if I go for this, it would be fantastic. Uh, and what's happening is that they're diluting their their base and, and a bit mm-hmm. of a burnout that I'm finding as well. So... If you're helping people be their best in in times of huge uncertainty now, sometimes it, it's new leaders and asking the right questions to broaden their thinking. Because again, you know every piece of cheese looks good when you see it, and you're you're a, you know you want to you want to eat some cheese. But, but really to slow down, slow down meaning for five minutes, not slow down for anything more yeah. and asking yourself some big questions. And another thing I find so important now, Rob, is that when people find themselves in the uncertainty of the market, and you can talk about pandemic, you can talk about sort of the explosion of digital, anything it is, or there's a new white space type uh, territory that people are jumping in, anything like that, there is that fight, flight or freeze condition that goes in on us where we're afraid we, we just don't know and, and our past experience does not overlay to the the new territory because we've never done it before and I find that mm-hmm. there's two defaults that entrepreneurs do and especially now the younger entrepreneurs that don't have as many years of experience of making mistakes learning from them and moving forward uh, is what happens is they'll default to winging it. And as we know, winging it can be great, or winging it can be, hey, you know, that's a pretty big risk that you're taking. Or the first available piece of data that seems right, it could be a consultant, it could be their best friend, it could be an article they read on Wired, you know, it's whatever it is, they go with it and go, that makes sense. And then they go all in on that. And I find that it's a pretty big, if you're thinking about, you know, entrepreneurship as investing in the market, you're going pretty hard on that one stock based on almost zero information. I hope (laughs) you're lucky because it might not work. And even if you're lucky now, three times down the road, you know, the probability is you're going to make a big mistake. So what I do is there's four questions I love to share with, with your Bear Nation to say, You know, when you're faced with something with uncertainty, there's four things you need to ask yourself. And this is Mm -hmm. what I found traveling the world with leaders, and they didn't necessarily do all four, but the really good ones maybe did three of them. But the first one is how important is this? And it could be in an opportunity. You know, what am I gonna get for this? How important it is to my overall business, not you know, creating a, a second division because you think there's opportunity there, but How important is this to my business and my long-term success, not my short-term success? Because often urgency, hey, get in now because you'll have first mover advantage. Yeah, but do you really want to get in there? And is that going to be right for your overall business? The second one is, and and this is what I find entrepreneurs can do quite well, like what facts and data do I need? So what information do I need to make a really good decision? And, And that leads to what do I know already and what do I need to know to make a sound decision?
0: And this yeah. doesn't slow so, you down,
1: this could be an hour. Yeah, so quick question, cause these two are, I think are really interesting. And you're kind of talking about
0: young entrepreneurs who don't have a lot of experience going through change, um, sometimes can make the wrong decision or take the wrong advice. And I think in, in today's society, there's so much advice out there. I can find, and I joke all the time, like I, I masters in marketing and you know, I looked at, you know, say that we still use Porter's Five Forces. We still use the BCG matrix. We still use all these things, right? Mm-hmm. The four Ps. When I look at data and I talk to us about I've gotten an arguments, I can make the data whatever the fuck I want it to say. I can tell yeah, that absolutely, story. Agree, yes. <laughs> and so we you know, we look, you know, a lot of times we fear opposition, we look for validation, so we find that one story that validates, although opposition is where real growth happens. And you said a lot about fear freeze or, you know, fight, flight or freeze. And I think that when we start realizing that on the other side of fear is growth. And so I, I like how you bring all this together. Then you said these two things, how important is this to my long-term success? And then what info do I need? And I have a question on this, what does is long-term success mean when you're asking that question? Because for me, and maybe this is a personal thing, but as I talk to more you know, millennials and Gen Z out there, trying to figure life out is not going to happen. I still haven't figured it out. And, and now you and know, I had this conversation <laughs> pre show about we're still trying to figure life out as we go through different stages. And so, what is long term success? I, the question I hate the most is where do you see yourself in five years? I don't fucking know. So many things Nobody can either. happen. So, so from a business perspective, I know we try to like live in you know you know the Don Toretto. I live my life a quarter mile at a time. For entrepreneurs, I live my life a quarter at a time. Right? What's these three months look like? What is what is the definition of long term? In the way that you're asking that question for your clients, I know that's a bit dependent on each client. But how do you define long term? Is this important for my business long term? And then what info do I need to secure that? So how do you define that? I just wanted to clarify those two things. That was a long diatribe in, but.
1: Awesome. Love it. In my corporate world, you know, typically three years out would be a kind of a sweet spot where you'd sort of measure everything in the first year, uh, Mm -hmm. each half in the second year and then quarter, you know, quarterly half and then one year out. And that would have been. And I think that's still dated. I really don't think that's the way the world is working right now. What I find, and and also when I'm working with entrepreneurs, wow, if we could even talk about the end of next year, that would be amazing because there's so much changing and so much is being stale-dated. We don't know, but even if we could tempt ourselves to think at the end of next year. So we're, we're talking five quarters out, you know, that would be amazing. That's what I'm talking about. And I, I find now when I, I read in the press and they're saying, well, what's our five-year plan? Who knows? And have you, has yeah. anyone ever gone back to a five-year plan and looked how wrong that was? And and, and I think what it does is it, it's like a Linus's blanket. Like it's a warm blanket yeah. of, of pretend certainty where you really don't know. And, and now yeah. I find, and there's one organization I worked with and they, they, their three-year plan wasn't working. So they, they almost restructured. So every quarter they were redefining what their three-year plan was. Yeah. And, and what I reflect for entrepreneurs is to say, well, man, if you can, yeah, you might want to just, you know, think generally that you have a horizon plan, but what I find it works for people right now is if you could stretch to the end of next year, you're you're yeah. a genius because too much is changing.
0: Well, you make a good point. This five year lioness blanket that you bring up, it's yeah, I think it's because investors want a five year plan, right? Because right. their their ROI is within a five year window. So we now instinctively do everything in a five year clip. And maybe that's before my time, but as I hit this you know entrepreneurial world in twenty fifteen. Uh, working for a startup, it was always five years at a time, five years. It was like this moving thing. And I always joke with the clients I work with, I say three, six, nine, you know, you can think three, six, nine, damn, she fight that old song. I, I like, if you know noticed, I like to use like song lyrics, the bare necessities that get stuck in your head, right? <laughs> so three, six, nine, what are you doing this quarter? What are you doing next quarter? And what are you doing yeah. in the quarter three? And I live and coach at that clip. Yes, it's good to have Beautiful. that moving goalpost at, you know, one year, three year out. And my the, way, the question I always like to ask is, you know, at the end of this year, at the end of next year, what does success look like?
1: Beautiful. Cool. That's too. what you want
0: to be, success. And then you work back. And so that's why I always like to ask this question, because I think a lot of people out there listening have this, you know, it's, we need a five-year plan. Yeah. Five years is too long. Too much is going to change.
1: Right. And you've and, and made such a great point, Rob, about We can create five year plans like we can throw assumptions in and we can say we don't know what our competitors are doing, but we we typically we we suggest that you know they won't do much right so we're just yeah. in this incubator of our own self stuff and and look at innovation plans from any packaged goods companies about what they say is their funnel and what actually comes out they're dramatically different and, yeah. and the thing is if, if we can get away from that desire of well we, we just need the blanket and and then jump in and then always say what i find to deal with the the one value of the five-year plan or maybe the three-year plan is are we doing anything we don't want to do? So what I do is I ask entrepreneurs, what don't you want your, your business to become? And, and it's great because they know that's an easier question to answer. You're like, I, I don't want to commoditize my product. I don't want to get so large that I am i don't have a, a, an operational role. Or I, I want to expand geographically across the U.S. Right now we're in NYC and, and I, I want to go nationwide and, you know, this is this is great. Oh, well, you've got a, an opportunity in Italy. You know, is that going to accomplish your goal of getting to California? You know, and, and if it's going to take, you know, rare resources, is that the best decision? You know, is that what you want? But I think that's the challenge and the opportunity for entrepreneurs right now.
0: I've, you make such a great point that you have to be with no one to say no. Is this going to is this working towards my vision or against it? Because it's really easy Shiny Object Syndrome. Oh, there's opportunity in Italy, but my goal is to be over here. And you know, we get <laughs> we get pulled because we think that's the next big thing. And kind of looking back at this five year plan thing, the one thing I noticed too is when we were doing that back in the you know 80s and 90s, because before the real information age of being hyper connected, we the, the the flow of information was very you knew where it was coming from and catalogs and whatever, and so you can kind of gauge. The the dynamic, there's the elasticity of that versus when, you know, a hundred content creators can throw something out on YouTube or a Reddit thread can make a stock just fly and crash the whole market in that fast thing. You can't, you can't have five-year plans because we consume this information. So I know you gave us one, how important is this to my long-term success? (laughs) Two, what info do I need? What's number three?
1: Number three is... You know, who has the information I, I need to get? So that could be within your startup. That could be externally. It could be in the academic community. It could your, be your mom. It doesn't matter. But who has the information that I seek? And often I find with organizations, whether they're large or, or they're, they're smaller, you know, forces to to contend within the marketplace is they tend to stay in their space. Their friends are startups. Or if it's a corporate, they tend to be in the same industry. They go to the mm-hmm. same association. But that's not where the best information is typically I found. It, it's external to the world in which you operate. And one thing I was I was presenting years ago at a key account uh, conference and it was just all about selling, all about selling. And the the best information that was there, and I was in packaged goods and in chocolate and candy and trident and that the best information was coming from the industry sector in the U S best, mm-hmm. best selling information. And, and what it did was underscore that where, how broadly are you going to look for the right information to give you competitive advantage? Because mm-hmm. somebody has experienced something similar that will feed in to fill out the, the illustration of what the future might look like.
0: Yeah. No, I love, I love that. Cause you, 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 you hit them close to home. I ran a, A global boot camp, and one of the companies that went through it ultimately decided not the US really wasn't the right market for them, but they went into this like global market to learn some like really good sales tactics from the US. We're able to turn that into closing a lot of deals really quickly just by changing their thinking of how they go about with process and then adapting that process to the market because sales is sales, right? When you think about globally, there's a few cultural differences, but they took a lot of those things and they had a very technical product and started incorporating video in their outreach and then video in their closing. Like one of them, you know, the proposal, you know, you're trying to get them on the phone to walk through the proposal, cause you know, open it up, they go to the ferry end and just look at the price. Couldn't get the client to, to commit to that. So we're like, I was like, okay, do your thing, send a video. Send a video walking through, it was like a two minute loom walking through and they sent that. And then made sure they watched that loom before they actually sent the proposal. And that closed to multiple deals. Like, hey, this is super awesome. Wow. Was able to take it because you walked me through the key points. We can go get this signed off on. And so I love that. It's like those, that, that, that shift of where do you find information that helps is really important. Because sometimes you got to look outside your eco chamber. And you got to look outside of what you think is being said. And, and really involve yourself to go seek that information out. So I love that key point. And the, for those out there listening, please... Just because you're in this ecosystem of X, Y, Z, sometimes the information you seek, you need to step outside of that and really push. Again, don't look for validation, look for opposition, because that's where you're gonna find real good fit. And you're gonna be able to adapt and say, okay, now I can either defend it the right way, and here's the information that defends that, or you learn to to take it, because when people are validating for you, it makes it too easy. And then you go and no sell anything like, well, I've validated this. Yeah, but who did you validate it against? Are they the ones that have the info that you seek to make sure that you have right validation? Sorry, super, so super bit of a tangent there, but I love this. I no, love this I love number it. three.
1: Oh, that's <laughs> great. And, and we tend to have, even though we try not to, we we tend to gather people who think the way we think right now. And and another uh, default I find a lot of entrepreneurs make is that there's an assumption that, it is in the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial field or maybe corporate. But the hottest change right now is going in government and not for profit. And typically it's pulling in more entrepreneurial people to do it because they're catching up after 30 years of bureaucracy, typically. And they'll kind of say, well, no, no, that's not me. But it's your point, Rob, is it's about the information. It's not about your preconceived notions of where it comes through. That's not like my business. But maybe it is if you thought more broadly about the the dynamics or the, the mechanics of it it can really be like that and uh, so that's uh that's an exciting one and and can i share number four because I, I love yeah. this one because most people don't do it and what i find is that and again it, it's a it's an extension of the glittery prize or the flavor of the month scenario where everybody's doing it everyone wants to be agile everyone wants yeah. to be synergistic everyone wants to whatever grow 10x whatever it is, whatever story you've bought into but some things that people have done will not work within the culture of your organization. And it could be a culture of three entrepreneurs, or it could be mm-hmm. a culture of, you know, you've got a, you know, a software business with 250 people and you've grown by 50% in two years, certain things What works well and what doesn't work well within the culture of your organization? Because everything's Mm -hmm. connected to the culture. And it's so easy to get organ rejection when you pick up something and you don't customize it back to the organization that you're working with. And sometimes the challenge, you know, as any consultant or any coach as we are, is if you don't translate it to what will work within the culture of the entrepreneur It won't last. You you might be able to hammer it in. It's not going to give you the value. People will reject it. So it's how do you morph it into something that's right for your business? And and Mm -hmm. so many entrepreneurs, so many leaders in corporate, they they take something that is not necessarily connected, but the idea is right, but they don't convert it into what works well and what doesn't in our organization.
0: Yeah, that is definitely something... I see
1: happen a lot is,
0: hey, they're doing this, so we should do it too. And in fact, one of my favorite books is still like an artist by Austin Cleon, which talks about, Me too. you know, <laughs> taking, take, you know, taking things that you love from others and then and adapting it. But the key message there, you know, the, books, the book says it, but obviously, you know, it's a shorter book, so it doesn't like go deep into this, but you have to really hit home is that if you're going to do something, how does it be authentically part of your brand? Who you are right. as a culture, who is a company and fitting it back to your why. So just because you like it and somebody else is doing it and you want to take that, you need to make sure that you take it and put, you know, that bit of you on it. Um, otherwise, it's, it's not going to work long term within the organization. So I love number four. Very so these cool. are great. I mean, these are four key questions that any entrepreneur out there listening, a part of our nation, you should write these down and ask yourself this um, with your organization, I think will be super helpful. So I want to switch no, gears, please. you know, we've got a few please. minutes left here and I, and I want to kind of get to this piece of, you know, you worked in large global corporate for a long time and then you became an entrepreneur and thinking about your journey and your story, what would you tell your younger self? What advice would you give yourself, um, you know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, even um, about where you are today and, and what would that look like and why?
1: my biggest message would be to have the confidence to do what you believe is true and and again the four questions are great but it's not just hey i've got a dream and i'm going to do it but if you do see something in the marketplace because so many people i find when you look at advice should i do it should i not do it they're giving advice from their perspective so of course if you're an accountant and you're saying hey i'm going to start my own business and give everything up that you've got and this is my passion the accountant most likely will say, well, I don't know. We should, you know, it's pretty risky, but she or he's really responding to if they were in your shoes, not if you're in your shoes. And I had this experience once early in my career, and it was uh, an Olympic athlete, which is timely for now, Mark Tewksbury, which is an Olympic gold swimmer. And, and I heard him speak on in his autobiography, and, and I asked him for his number one banner motivator statement, and his was, why not me? And, and I find so many times we hold back on on going to the next level because of those insecurities. And and I think why not me is is something great. So when when I jumped from corporate and then into entrepreneurship and and dove into it, I made a mistake at the beginning. And I told you, Rob, that hey, I wanted to do a specific business, but my first client was my past employer, and pretty well as a as a gig, gig economy, I I was essentially taking on a large change for the organization. But nothing had changed except my labor relation with the organization. So I knew who I was working with, you know, it was great. It it was a really good experience. And I wasted over a year's time for what I really wanted to do. And and what happened is I fell short, I I kind of sort of I, I didn't do a full swing and and hit it out of the park, I, I bunted because it was safer. And, and I think in hindsight, what I'd say is whenever you can play it safe, that takes you away from what you want to do really consider it. And sometimes you need to, uh, but, but what don't let, you know, don't let yourself fall short and, and not be as successful as you want because you're hedging your bets. And, and I think what, what I learned when I did my first book is, um Wiley who who published it globally had said, Well, what are you gonna do? And I said, Well, you know, I, I'm gonna start my own business, but you know, I might do this and that. And and they said, Oh, that's too bad, because you know, we, we want all in people. And and I think that is what has really driven me now. So now it's all in and now I focus on I, I don't look back and I move forward mm-hmm. and I have the confidence in in what I believe I offer in the marketplace that that doesn't have as much you know sort of uh, people who have experienced internal corporate and now are, are coaching and, and offering change support. Uh, that's what I'd say. Don't look back. Just keep going. And sometimes they say don't have a plan B, which might be good or not for Bear Nation. But I'd say yeah. if you've got it, if you've got an idea, go for it and and make sure that you support yourself. But don't play it safe would be yeah. my first piece of advice. I
0: love that. Don't play it safe and have confidence in, in yourself, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, because I yeah. think... To be honest with you, especially through Bear Nation, we've gone through different stories of those that put it all on the line with a hope and a dream, those that have ran it as a side hustle, turning it into a full-time thing. Whatever your journey, it's really important. Your journey is impressive because it's yours. And whatever that is, don't have to subscribe to you being part of the hustle culture or, or, you know, side hustle until, you know, play it safe and side hustle it. Yeah, until until you c- you can earn enough, and you know my philosophy is somewhere between. But a lot of times I see people who side hustle burn out because they're trying to they're working, right. 80, you know, forty hours at one job, forty hours at another, and forgetting time for personal relationships. But that's a conversation yeah. for another day. <laughs> yeah. But can I tell you one more your, though? Okay. Yeah, well, going to oh, say, oh, whatever so, so, yeah. your journey is, it needs to be what you want it to be, right? What you want right. it to be, not what others tell you it should be
1: so true and and one more i'd share with bear nation too is don't let either your success or your ego walk you away from your customer and what i mean by that is you know you, you start in and this is what you want to serve and it's all about the customer but then either you get successful, you start growing, and you get further away from your customer. And the ego is, "Hey, I know the product that they really need because I know everything." Or you know, and it's an exaggeration, but it's true. Hey, I know the customer better. Not and to give you a quick example is when I wrote my second book. I thought you know it's all about people who have no time to read large, change, you know, change books. They're they're right at the the point where they're sinking or swimming, mm-hmm. and. I don't want to write a book that would be great for me and not great for, for people like that. So I did the minimum viable product. I created 18 people who evaluated everything in the book and I went with what they wanted. The cover is my second favorite. The uh, the design of the illustrations is my third favorite. I cut out 40 mini chapters because people wanted to focus on the 44 that were the best. And And, and what it did is it suppressed my ego and forced me to create something that they wanted versus what I wanted. And I think the, 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 metaphor is, is strong for any entrepreneur, especially if you're getting success. Yeah. Be careful that you don't think that you're, you are your client because typically you're not. Mm-hmm.
0: I love that. I think that's a great you know, piece of advice for anyone out there um, to, to make sure that you, you know, really check, check your ego. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and leverage that, that, that thinking, cause you're being brought in from an outside perspective or you're being brought in for a specific reason, not to think as them, but to help them through something specific. Um, you know, so we're coming up on the end of time here. Uh, I want to ask you one or two more final questions, uh, great. cause you gave a great piece of advice there, but what you know, when we, when you think about all the things you said, what do you think is your superpower?
1: My superpower, and, and uh, what I love, the question is: is it's a forced choice too? And what I would say is, making connections is my superpower. I had it when I was high school, and there were you know different, you know, kid groups getting together at parties or dances or whatever. But it was always an ability of mine to take people with different and disparate needs and and aligning them on a common goal. So with entrepreneurs, it's what's the vision that's going to align your teams to move forward? If there's a disconnect and a change and you've got different leaders wanting different things, what's the common ground that will be our foundation that will move forward? And understanding that we have different needs as well. And and it's the superpower of, of coming in and facilitating a workable solution for people that they can move forward. Because when it's not workable, they, they atrophy or they, they get stuck. And as long as everyone can get what they want, what they need, but not necessarily get what they want, that's my superpower. And I do it personally, but I also do it in work as well.
0: Love that. And I think that's a great superpower. So when we think about kind of a lasting message, you know, for, for those that are entrepreneurs, Thinking about being an entrepreneur, you know, entrepreneur minded. What uh, what's a lasting message? What advice would you give them to close out this episode?
1: In your journey, entrepreneurial journey, never compromise your referability. And what I mean by that is is never take the decision. That might be underhanded, or you know cutting someone out or doing something that 's not aligned with your values and you know over the years and, and in my world over the decades i 've seen people who 've compromised their ethics or they 've compromised their values just because it would move them forward. And they don't necessarily want to do it, but the pressure of the moment does it. And it always comes back to haunt them. Nobody wants to partner in an entrepreneurial venture when you've proven yourself to be disloyal or your scruples are, are questionable. And all it takes is one major issue where you don't take the right decision to lose trustworthiness. And that's your biggest asset. If you can't if you can't be trusted, whether it's your investors, your employees, whomever, you've really killed your credibility. And and sometimes you might want to because it's short term and you're just only going to do it once. It's one time too many. And then I think you look back and you feel really good about your journey and the success that you have.
0: I love that. I think it's a great kind of lasting message and great advice for anyone out there listening. And And, you know, when we think about you know, what Phil just shared, Arnish, and that this happens at any stage of life and it's designed to, you know, to take it with you in all different assets and who you are today is not who you're going to be tomorrow and you don't have to have it all figured out. And, you know, I wish we could go for another hour because this whole side of Phil that um, you know, I'm going to make sure that we, we link all his information to be found, um, you know, when he started his career in corporate and then change. you know, what you don't know, and we talked a lot today about different things that he's experienced and some different key learning lessons is that he built his consultancy not to scale, meaning he's not he's not trying to say, hey, I wanted to build it to be a 20 person company or a 50 person company or be a multi-billion dollar company. It's I wanted to make the best impact and I wanted to be able to work across multiple industries. And I think it's really important for all you entrepreneurs out there and uh, to take a look at Phil and what he's doing and connect with them after that not every company has to go public or be a unicorn. Not everyone out there has to build the next, you know, Airbnb. You can build a successful multimillion dollar business and be a team of one or a team of five and be super happy and have an impact. And I think we're so caught up in this world of entrepreneurship of we need to have the next unicorn and IPO versus what makes me happy, passionate and fulfilled and if you're looking for somebody that that lives that that is phil buckley so phil where can bear nation find you so i can drive them to you to have those conversations
1: and learn more thanks rob i'd love to talk to everyone Uh, the email address is phil at changewithconfidence.com that's a great way just to come direct linkedin is fantastic as phil buckley 01 to connect there because it's such a powerful community And changewithconfidence.com is my website. And the reason why I point you there is there's tons of free information for you on your entrepreneurial journey, but let's have a conversation. I would love it. Thanks, Rob, for that opportunity.
0: You bet, Phil. And I'll make sure to link that in the show notes. Also, you know, check out his books. Um, I'll make sure to get those links and put them in the show notes um, so that they can easily purchase if you so wish. Phil, thank you so much for sharing so much with Barrett Nation today. Appreciate you uh, for being a part of the show.
1: Thank you, Rob. It's a privilege and, and a shout out to Bear Nation. You're doing great things. Keep moving. Rob, thank you so much for the time today.
0: Absolutely. Bear Nation out there. Thank you so much. We will see you for our next episode. Stay well. Bear Nation, once again, thank you for listening to the Bear Necessities of Entrepreneurship. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. And until next time, take care.